1: Before we get started, I want to acknowledge that this is not an episode about what's been happening since the killing of George Floyd. Our show runs on listener questions, so please tell us what you want to know about this moment here in Vermont. And in our next episode, we'll be answering a question about the history of Black communities in our state, in Hinesburg, Braintree, and elsewhere. In the meantime, we've got two links in the show notes today to past BLS episodes that have tackled race and systemic racism here. I hope you listen. Okay, here's the show. Simone Haiju and her husband Robin are one of those couples that makes plans. They live in Atlanta, Georgia right now, but they're about to do something that they've been scheming for years. They're moving to Vermont.
0: Well, actually moving to Vermont has been sort of a part of our five-year plan.
1: This is Simone.
0: We, in our first year of marriage, kept going back and forth about several different state options to ultimately settle in. And um, we just wanted to live closer to
1: the land and um, be a part of our community, too. They chose Vermont because there's a particular kind of house they want to build. We want to build an
0: off-the-grid, forever home. It's called an Earthship. It's a self-sustainable home that receives and processes energy passively and
2: grows its own food, collects its water. Especially considering all the things that have happened recently in the world. That's Robin. Uh, We thought we need to be uh, independent and uh, not relying on the grid.
1: So that's the housing plan, long term. They're going to start by renting so they can save up for land and the earthship. The employment plan started to come together when Simone got a job for the town of Milton. She's a planner. Robin is a teacher.
2: I teach math and science.
1: But Robin didn't have a job lined up yet. So he posted some questions on the website Reddit on a topical page called the subreddit all about Vermont.
2: I was looking uh, to get feedback from people regarding teaching jobs in Vermont and any other feedback regarding uh, moving and living in Vermont.
1: A bunch of people replied with tips on the teaching front, but also warnings about how expensive it is to live here, especially if you're going to rent around Burlington.
2: We also saw that uh, the food costs there are also a little higher than where we are. Also, a lot of uh, people in the Reddit post commented about uh, looking out for the internet, uh, because not all of Vermont has uh, internet or high-speed internet, and that can also add to the cost.
3: I hear so many comments about uh, how expensive Vermont is.
1: This is Bruce Post of Essex. He first came to Vermont in the 60s for college at Norwich University. He went on to a long career in public service on Capitol Hill and in Montpelier. Now he's retired and he's wondering about this whole Vermont is so expensive narrative. It goes beyond Reddit, of course.
3: I hear people make complaints. And because I was a planner and I also wrote legislation federally, I say, okay, I'm not going to deal with the superficialities. I want to get beneath the superficial. And so that's why I asked my question.
1: His winning question, which was this.
3: I've always heard the litany that Vermont is so expensive. Uh, I'm wondering, is that true? And how do we compare to other states?
1: From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been submitted and voted on by you, our audience, because we think our journalism is better when you're a part of it. Today,
3: you know, the one that gets most of the attention is, oh, uh, taxation. What about cable costs? Uh, What about food costs?
1: Everyone loves to grouse about our cost of living. Bruce Post wonders, how bad is it, really?
3: So you hear all these things anecdotally, but I've never spent any time measuring them, and I'd like to know.
1: Turns out some of these measures are surprisingly elusive, even before you account for a pandemic. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive, from agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com.
2: In uh, uh, Vermont, I could see that the rent prices uh, were really high to live in the city.
1: Robin and Simone, the future Vermonters from Atlanta, eventually lined up a studio apartment right in the heart of Burlington for June 1. Smaller than their place in Atlanta and a bit more expensive. Our question asker, Bruce, is familiar with this phenomenon.
3: Our daughter downstairs right now is from Harvard. She lives in Somerville, Mass., and and she says in a way uh, rents in the Chittenden County area, the Burlington area, are are as expensive as they are in in the Boston area. So what is the scoop?
1: This particular scoop is actually in one of our previous episodes, all about Vermont's housing crunch. So we're not going to rehash it here. Short version, Chittenden County is quite expensive, and about a third of all Vermonters are what's called cost-burdened when it comes to housing. If you want to check out the full episode, we've got a link in our show notes. We've also got a link to another episode about Vermont's utility costs, which are super complicated. Take a listen. As for other parts of Vermonters' budgets, here's what we can say. Groceries this is a thing. According to the US Bureau of Economic Analysis, Vermonters spent more on groceries than any other state in 2018, the most recent year the data is available. The technical category is, quote, food and beverages purchased for off-premises consumption. And we spent about $4,700 per capita. New Hampshire, Maine, and Massachusetts were all in the top 10. Gas. This is somewhat of a thing. Prices here aren't the highest, but they're not the lowest either. According to AAA, Vermont generally falls among the top 20 to 25 states for what you pay at the pump. Internet. Very much a thing.
4: So we tend to say, you know, how much of a given area has access to the Internet just from a hardware perspective. And and that number for Vermont is 79%.
1: Tyler Cooper is the editor- in chief for Broadband Now, which researches internet access in the u s, where you can get it and for what price. Their benchmark for affordable service is sixty bucks a month
4: and the, the the sort of disappointing news, I suppose, for for Vermont is that actually currently only one point one percent of residents have access to a plan that costs less than that sixty dollars a month.
1: OK. That sounds bad but maybe there are lots of states with these numbers?
4: Uh, There are not. Uh, So we actually rank states using a proprietary mix of average speed test information, access to what we call low-price plans, and terrestrial access from a hardware perspective. And Vermont, currently on that list for 2020, ranks number 47 out of 50.
1: Yikes. Now, it's one thing to look at these cost measures one by one. But what about the sum of all parts? It looks like we have uh,
5: Nolan. Yeah, we're just finishing our staff meeting, so Joyce and Dan are right behind me.
1: For that, question asker Bruce and I hopped on a Zoom call with three members of Vermont's joint fiscal office. It provides nonpartisan financial analysis to our state legislators.
6: So I'm Joyce
1: Manchester.
3: My name is Nolan Langwell. My name is Daniel Dickerson. Well, hi, my name is Bruce Post. I live in Essex. Um,
1: Bruce joined all the Zoom interviews for this episode, and you're going to hear him chiming in with his own questions. This is what people powered journalism looks like.
3: I'd just like to say I've, I've used both JFO and CBO resources in my career. So Every
1: other year, Joint Fiscal publishes something called the Vermont Basic Needs Budgets and Livable Wage Report. Here's Daniel Dickerson.
0: It shows what's called a basic needs budget for multiple family configurations based on the best data we can find at this point. It includes the cost of housing, the cost of food, health care.
1: Add all those up and you get hypothetical totals for different profiles of Vermonters. For example, say you're a married couple, both working, with two kids, living in a rural part of the state. This report concludes that it'll take about $85,000 to meet your basic needs. That number might sound surprisingly high. After all, Vermont's median household income is about $60,000. According to the report, Vermont's minimum wage doesn't even come close to covering the cost of living here. But the joint fiscal folks had some huge disclaimers about their work. Like, they're not even that confident in the numbers they're working with. For example, Nolan Langweil says this about healthcare.
5: We try to figure out what are people's out-of-pocket expenses, you know, what are their deductibles? And, and with, we don't have any good data on that. The state doesn't collect it and the federal level is not collected.
6: We would love to have better data on what it does cost to live in Vermont, but those data do not exist. It's very difficult to get representative data um, according to where you fall on the income scale.
3: I appreciate the dilemma there uh, you're in and, and Joyce, where would you get that, that data? Uh, is is the Vermont do, not do a good job? Is there no appreciation of collecting that data statewide?
6: So it would be extremely expensive to set up a new survey for the state of Vermont, and I'm not sure that we have the expertise to do that.
1: And there's something else that Joyce Manchester and her colleagues say is missing from the report. All the assistance that the state offers to low- and middle-income Vermonters.
6: And that's not figured into this budget. And I think that means that a lot of people have the wrong impression of what it costs to live in Vermont.
1: In other words, the budget estimates what Vermonters would pay without things like child care credits, food stamps, and property tax assistance, which is available to households making up to 137 dollars a year.
6: So you occasionally hear someone talking on the radio saying, well, the Joint Fiscal Office says that the livable wage, the amount that I have to earn in order to live a life in Vermont, is X. And in fact, I'm earning much less than X, so clearly I can't make it in Vermont. But again, if you are able to apply and be eligible for a number of programs that are specifically targeted at helping lower-income or moderate-income families, then yes, you can afford to live in Vermont.
1: It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. So far, we've talked about the costs associated with living in Vermont. But what you pay for stuff is just one part of the financial equation. Another big one, of course, is what you make.
7: One of the biggest findings that we've been looking at over the last couple of years is the fact that wages are really the problem more than the price of things.
1: This is Stephanie Yu. She's the deputy director of the Public Assets Institute, a Vermont nonprofit.
7: Wages are the problem. Vermont has relatively low wages. We rank about 38th in average wages across the states. And across the New England states, we're really on the low side of wages. And the growth has been really slow.
1: You says another part of the equation is what Vermont provides for its residents.
7: You know, what are what are we getting? What services are we getting? And I think there's certainly room for improvement, but there are some services that we get that are pretty important. Universal pre-K was a big one, you know, this, the low rate of uninsured. So I think this issue of what services are provided by the state is really an important part of this question of, is Vermont a good deal for people?
1: This gets back to the state programs that we were talking about earlier. And it brings us to perhaps the most controversial aspect of Vermont's cost of living, taxes, which help fund these programs.
7: One of the things that I think is sort of a misconception that that people have is... This concept that Vermont is a high tax state, but that's really not true for low and middle income Vermonters. In fact, like Vermont's a pretty good deal from a tax perspective for people on the lower end of the the income scale and even for the middle income, you know, we're we're on the low end for the Northeast, we're below the US average. Um, many people believe that Vermont taxes are
6: higher than in many other states. That is true for upper income people.
1: Again, Joyce Manchester from the Joint Fiscal Office.
6: The effective income tax rate for higher income households is higher in Vermont because we have a very progressive tax system.
1: Which means the effective tax rate for lower household incomes is lower.
3: Can I ask a question? Um,
1: a little provocative,
3: maybe, because this is one thing you'll hear. There is a nirvana just across the Connecticut River in some mines. There's no income tax. There's no sales tax. How do they raise the revenues necessary to fund government?
1: Bruce, of course, is asking about New Hampshire.
6: It is true that there's no income tax. And um, it's also true that that they have fewer government services than Vermont. And that's a choice that the state has made over the years. Um, I used to live in Hanover and Back then, it was very clear that if you had a child with special needs, you wanted to live in Norwich rather than Hanover because Norwich schools had more support for kids with special needs. So in general, Vermont has provided more social services, and that means that we have to raise the revenue to pay for those social services.
1: Now, maybe you think we're providing too many social services or not enough. Maybe you want us to spend our tax dollars differently or just tax people less to begin with. This episode is not about that debate. And anyway, everything is completely different now. I asked the joint fiscal folks about this. Any hardship has been exacerbated by COVID 19. And, you know, from where you all are sitting, looking at the numbers and the state's budget and our expenditures and so forth, what are you all thinking about and, and worried about or hopeful about?
5: I, I'll go first, but I think that we don't know yet. We don't know what services people are going to need or what we can pay for or what the... It's hard to know.
6: Um, already we've seen about 90,000 Vermonters have applied for unemployment benefits. Uh, that's out of a workforce of about 315,000. So it's its a very large percentage, absolutely unprecedented. And uh, it's an indicator that there are a lot of people out there who are hurting and don't know very much about their future. Um, which means that they may be dependent on the state and on the federal government to provide a lot of their basic needs. And we just don't know what, what future policy is going to look like. Let's see how
1: this works. Okay. So um, what time did you all get here this morning?
8: At two o'clock.
1: Two a.m. Two a.m. this morning. Oh my gosh. What, uh, where did you come from?
8: Just down over hill, Caledonia County, okay. Lindenville.
1: It's 9.30 a.m. on a Friday, and I'm using a microphone on a long pole to talk to Kathy Purr in the front seat of her car. She has the very first spot in line for a free food distribution here at the county airport in Lindenville. The event hasn't even started yet, and there are hundreds and hundreds of cars lined up behind her on the airstrip.
8: I mean, I heard there was a law in Burlington, and they shut down the interstate, and when I heard that, I said, I better be up here.
1: This is the 16th food distribution that the Vermont National Guard and the Vermont Food Bank have organized since the coronavirus pandemic began. It's Kathy's first.
8: Well, I figure my box of food should go me about two months.
1: The one you'll get today? The
8: one I get today, and that's going to help me 100%.
1: Kathy is not newly unemployed. She says she lives on disability. But like many others, she's feeling a squeeze right now.
8: My shock was when I went to buy a bottle of big bleach. Last time I bought it, it was three dollars and something. When I looked at it the other day, it was six dollars and something. Come on came back from a you know
5: yeah. the The meat prices are going sky high and now the gas is going back up and it's just making everybody that hurt and hurt worse.
1: This is Jeff Blay. He's way back in line with a number 292 marked on his windshield. Jeff also lives on disability due to some past head injuries.
5: Oh, I'm going downhill. That's why I always have to go and try to get assistance now. Because I'm taking care of my 80-year-old mother on top of it. And I have seizures. And now she just had a heart attack. Just things just keep on getting worse, you know, and... And I got a son that's gone. He's supposed to be going back to work Monday, hopefully. But he's freaking out, you know, because he's got a family of you know, four, you know.
3: Well, I'm really not sure where we're all going to land, to tell you the truth. Um, some folks like us, we've we've had the same job for 20 years, and it's now gone. So, really, I don't think any of us know what there's going to be for a, uh, job opportunities, you know, when this lightens up I
1: guess (laughs) that's a resident of Berlin who only wanted to give his last name Stacy he's here picking up for elderly neighbors in town he was furloughed from his job at a sanitation company in March
3: we've always planned for the worst so we have our own garden we're lucky to be able to do that Um, we're just hanging in yeah Yeah. how much longer that'll last we don't know
8: (laughs) it's pretty depressing honestly But,
1: you know, I mean, we're trying to do the best we can. Elizabeth Wilson is from St. Johnsbury. She's number 817 in line. And she says she would have come to one of these even before the pandemic.
8: Definitely. I mean, we always need food.
1: As I walk around the airstrip trying to interview people, I get a lot of no thank yous. And it seems like maybe the people who don't want to talk are new to this life of needing to ask for help. I asked Jeff Blay, back in car number 292, about this.
5: I understand what they're going through. When I first got on Disabled, I didn't want to be on Disabled. I wanted to work. I was embarrassed about everything. I did not want to talk to anybody. I felt ashamed of myself because it is hard. It's hard to open up to people and tell them, you know, hey, I'm bottom of right now, you know. So I understand what they're going through.
1: Would you... I don't know, do you have any advice for someone who's sort of like struggling through
5: that transition? I understand you ain't the only one out there. That's one thing I, it was wrong with me. I thought I was the the only one out there. And then you find out you've got tons of people out there beside you that's in the same boat or worse. But we all need help. No matter who you are, we all need help. And that's why I look at it now. Because someday you'll be helping somebody else out.
1: When people do talk to me, I ask if they think their financial situation will force them to leave Vermont at some point in the future. Everyone says they want to stay. And, of course, some new people are still moving in.
2: I think uh, with this COVID situation, still uh, everyone has been really helpful.
1: This is Robin Haiju again. Not even a pandemic could stop him and his wife Simone from moving here. After Simone got that planning job in Milton, Robin found teaching work at Missisquoi Valley Union High School in Swanton.
2: People from Milton, the people from Swanton, uh, they all have been incredibly helpful.
1: As for the costs, the high Jews don't seem worried. They're going to pay 70 bucks more in rent every month. But Robin says that happens to be exactly what they're going to save in state income taxes. Because we like to end our episodes on a hopeful note when we can, here's one more voice.
0: My name is Matt Dunn, and I am the executive director of the Center on Rural Innovation. Uh, We are an action tank that's based in uh, Heartland, Vermont. And a lot of our efforts are trying to figure out how do you uh, allow for rural communities to succeed in the new economy.
1: When Dunn says new economy, he's talking about things like automation and the displacement of rural jobs. But then there's the even newer economy, the COVID economy. Dunn says Vermont is vulnerable, no question, but there is a silver lining.
0: People are rethinking uh, whether they should be all stacked on top of each other uh, in cities, uh, you know, moving forward.
1: With more sectors embracing remote work, Dunn says Vermont communities, at least the ones with good internet, can attract new residents and help foster a rural renaissance. It's tempting to think that could help with Vermont's cost of living.
0: There is a real opportunity for the state to present itself as a place where folks who are in digital economy jobs uh, or who grew up here and moved away because they felt they had to in order to pay off student debt or other things, to be able to come back.
1: But Dunn says this isn't just about creating jobs for people who move here.
0: We have to make sure that we are taking steps uh, to ensure that whatever economic recovery is inclusive of folks who are here now and displaced To make sure that they have the training to be able to take some of those jobs. Uh, and we've got to solve the broadband problem.
3: New recording and it's all set up and we can go.
1: To wrap things up, our question asker Bruce and I record one last Zoom call. Since he'd been a part of so much of the reporting, I asked him what his takeaways are.
3: So I've learned a lot about um, how people look at costs in Vermont, uh, information that's available, uh, uh, how it might be efficacious or helpful, and what its limitations are. But against the background of the pandemic, um, wow. You know, we find out that there are a lot of average measures about affordability in Vermont and costs for different services, but uh, there are no average people. There are no average situations. For some, it's difficult uh, to keep up. For others, it's no problem at all. So it's the story of individual Vermonters cast around the state, and you can't make easy generalizations. I think that's a, a main takeaway. You can't make easy generalizations.
1: In other words, if you're going to ask if Vermont or any place is expensive, you've got to ask expensive for whom? Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Bruce Post for the great question and for participating in so many interviews. If you want a chance to report with us, share your question at bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can vote on the question you want us to tackle next and sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BravestateVT. This episode was produced by me, Angela Evansy, with editing by Lynn McRae. Our theme music is by Ty Gibbons. Other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our digital producer is Elodie Reed. And engineering support comes from Chris Albertine. Special thanks to Stephanie Tomlin. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund and VPR's sustaining members. If you like our show, make a gift at bravelittlestate.org slash donate. We will be back soon with more people-powered journalism. Until then, remember, be brave ask questions.
5: At a time when
8: information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's through line wherever you get your podcasts.